You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon, this is Encyclopedia, and thank you to Freedom of Species, who will be back next week, 1 o'clock on 3CR. Head to 3cr.org.au to find out more about Freedom of Species and all the uh, things they talk about, whether it's wet, wombat poop or. Um, all the other things they talk about, I just caught the end of the program. So, uh, my name is Nick, and across me from in the studio is Ash. Good afternoon. Thanks hey. for the tip about Extinction Rebellion. I managed to work my way around. They're, they're currently blocking an intersection just down the road from the studio, and um, your heads up allowed me to work my way around it. For a traffic report, it's Brunswick Street. Um, I don't know where they are at the moment, but half an hour ago they were on uh, Brunswick Street with the... Um, uh, I haven't actually seen... I was. I went to go to one of the protests the other day, and I missed out on that. Thought I'd see them at Carlton Gardens. Couldn't find them in Carlton Gardens. Uh, it's not that big, but I thought I would find them there. Um, got a few friends who are a part of... Uh, Extinction Rebellion, so I've heard heard all about it um, um, during the week. Um, but yeah, I saw the what, what's the like what's the deal with the people dressed in red? What's that about? Uh, I am not not exactly sure, sure but no. um, it, it, well, it's it's art. You know, and I think that is a great way of getting messages like this across. I did also see a truck with a giant earth hanging in the back of it um, driving down uh, Victoria Street uh, yesterday afternoon. And um, what else? Other little bits and pieces. It's certainly capturing everyone's attention. Um, Now, whether or not I think we had this discussion when the uh, vegans held their their protest... um, um, Oh, the, the was a few Watch Dominion. Yes, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, um, yes. The question, and, and and it's because we come from an activist background as well. Uh, is it effective? Because it is, it is hard. Obviously, you want to get your message out there. I'm not a great believer in any publicity is good publicity because I don't believe that. Because I believe that there are a lot of people on the right at the moment who think that um, them just kicking up a stink and getting uh, attention is going to be good for them. And I actually think it's not good for them. But I think they, I don't know. It's complicated. So well, I mean, and how do you measure what's effective or not because of course you're going to get the kind of like you know stinging response that you do from the the typical um you know media outlets like herald sun sky news these sorts of things you can expect the response they're going to give but i think look we could spend the whole show just talking about what effective uh activism looks like and i think maybe let's flag that one and come back to it i think that'd be a great idea for a special at a future date but before we get into the the um the heart of the show maybe just a few little updates so um the north richmond community health center which is uh the the center that runs the medically supervised injecting room in North Richmond, has posted a bit of an update on their first year of operation. So some of the quick highlights, there were just under 3,000 registered clients using the service uh, and almost 62,000 individual visits, including a supervised injection, uh, 1,232 overdoses safely managed by the staff inside the facility, and in addition to that, um, one of the things that's really great about the, the structure and function of this particular center is the wraparound services that it has available. So some of those are in-house and some of them are referral pathways. So on the, um, uh, you know, while it was set up in the trans- transitional facility and the, the new standalone center has only been running for about three months now, I think. Um, but in that transitional facility, 
There were just over 5,000 on-site services to registered clients. This includes health promotion, um, on-the-spot health and social support. There were just under 1,400 referrals to co-located services and clinics and external uh, services. And um, since the 7th of July, the centre's been open uh, for extended hours, 7 to 9 p.m. weekdays and 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. on the weekends. That means that the capacity has also expanded and it has better integration with the needle and syringe program and additional consulting and treatment rooms. So this trial is due to finish in 2020. And um, there'll be a, a full report and analysis on how well it's functioned at that stage. But, you know, I think those those figures show that it's doing what it was meant to do. Yep. Uh, the discussions continue down in uh, North Richmond around... Um Around generally, it's around the amenity and really the conversation. If we if we were to take the uh, supervised injecting room out and the sort of um, uh, the the feral politics that goes along with those who think that they can use people's drug problems as a cheap way to score points in the in the political elections, um, then we'd see that actually it's the same issue that's been there for over a decade, over fifteen years. Uh, it's the issue that was on Smith Street that sort of moved around the corner uh, down onto Victoria Street and down into that. Uh, in to that area, um, and it's 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 simply just a matter of how black markets work, and that issue is because of prohibition. I think that's something that needs to be constantly reminded to some people. Um, like uh, I've noticed that the uh, liberals are getting up in arms about Canberra or the ACT uh, legalizing uh, legalizing cannabis, and uh, there's been reports from um, uh, all all sorts of. Uh, <coughs> Uh, self-described experts were warning about psychosis and you just think well but hang on a second guys that first of all the people that are already smoking cannabis are already smoking cannabis i don't know if you've got this but <laughs> prohibition doesn't actually stop those people from accessing cannabis and there's not a huge amount of psychosis in the community there is no proof that any legalization anywhere in the world has anything other than the most minor uptick in people going and trying cannabis and generally that uptick is in the older demographics, the boomer demographics, not in the 16 to, you know, 21 year olds who are actually down in almost every category of drug or alcohol use. They use less alcohol than even we did. The, the millennials, uh, they use less than us. So like these kinds of claims are claims that are coming from a place where we've had prohibition for 50 years, where we've seen these problems and they're sort of acting like prohibition has worked, like people don't use drugs or there's less drugs because of prohibition. But I think that's the real thing that they need to prove. Prove that prohibition actually makes any of this better. Prove that prohibition exactly. stops mental health problems from people using cannabis or anything <laughs> like you can't. They just can't. Um, and also on that um, New South Wales as well this week, there's been a um, couple of meetings that um, uh, Catherine, um, I've forgotten her name, the Greens fa fa Fairman, Kate Fairman, Kate Fairman yeah. um, she has been in Lismore and in Mullumbimby on Thursday and Friday, and she'll be at uh, Sydney Parliament House uh, later this week, uh, running a series of talks called Rethink Reform. Uh, and it's through the Greens, so the <laughs> it's the Greens that are leading this um is part of the conversation in New South Wales, uh, but they're talking uh, about um, drug law reform. They're, they're talking about the uh, um, the Portugal's decriminalisation. I guess Kate has recently been over and, and seen some of that. It's a conversation. I've got to go back and find. There was a uh, interview that we did with one of the um, uh, one of the architects of um, drug decriminalisation in Portugal. Um, should dig that one up again because 
Um, yeah, I don't know. When people are like, Portugal's groundbreaking new drug laws, I'm like, you know, it's like nearly, it's 20 years old. I don't know if 20 years old. <laughs> I don't call myself that young anymore. And I'm, you know, I was, I was in high school in the early 2000s. Do we have time for one or two minutes on a vaping update? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's so what's been going on. With there's, <laughs> around the world, a lot of the anti-vaping proponents who are, you know, sort of fill our public health lobbies uh, and areas of government here in Australia have been making hay with the uh, illnesses that have um, came up in, in the USA recently. There's been a couple of deaths, and these have been, in a broad sense, related to vaping. Um, however... The uh, Food and Drug Administration in the United States, which is kind of like the high-level regulator that looks at all of this stuff, has posted an update, uh, what was it, I think it was the, late last week, and it kind of clarifies some of the advice. So for those who are vaping nicotine products or who are considering that as a pathway to quit smoking, this may be of relevance. The recommendations for the public are to not use vaping products that contain THC. Do not use uh, vaping products, particularly those containing DHC, uh, THC obtained off the street or from other illicit social sources. Do not modify or add any substance such as THC or other oils to vaping products, including those purchased through retail establishments. Um, uh, also, this is a broad piece of advice that's consistent everywhere. Uh, young people and pregnant women should not use any vaping product, regardless of the substance. Uh, nicotine can be harmful for pregnant women. Um, it's advised that they do avoid that. Uh, and if you choose to use any of those products, monitor yourself for cough, shortness of breath, chest pain. Now, there's been no outbreaks of these conditions here in Australia. Um, and in the United States, so far, all of the confirmed cases have been from illicit THC uh, bought on the black market. And was it also possible that it's one manufacturer that it's all coming from? Because it seems unlikely that a bunch of different people are making the same error. There, there was one person who's been arrested. I forget what state it was in. And um, there is some, uh, I, I guess suspicion that that may be the heart of the cause but um we'll wait i think there's been about a thousand cases and so it's going to take some time to sort of tease out exactly what's happening there whether it is all related to this one source whether mm. it is all related to thc illicit thc but so far all of the confirmed cases are are pretty much confirming that suspicion now i'm pretty sure if you were to go and get go go to your bathroom and pick up a tube of toothpaste right now if you look on the end of that tube of toothpaste i'm pretty sure it's got a lot number on there hmm. that lot number is a manu it's part of the manufacturing standard it's so that manufacturers of these sorts of products can detect very quickly whether there's been any kind of error recall everything they know exactly where it's been exactly the pathways it's been through this is what you do with a regulated market now, um, when these sorts of things happen and people go, oh, we need to ban it H harder. Yeah, like, remember this. Remember that these markets are already prohibited, largely. Like, unless uh, for, for vaping products, you can get very, very minimal amounts of vaping products um, for, for, through a regulated um, means. But, uh, but otherwise, it, you know, we, we already don't have a regulated market. This is where the problems are coming from. And then for people who are against regulation to say, oh, this is why we shouldn't do it. It's just completely back to front. So there's this really interesting thing, thing happening with, um, I guess, big tobacco and various advocates on either side of this issue. So you have some of the pro-vaping advocates that sit 
almost uncomfortably with some of these big tobacco companies that are shifting into smokeless forms of tobacco and going, well, yeah, you know, we don't like you, you're not all that great, but that's actually the pro-public health pathway. It's less harmful. It, it has a great opportunity to benefit public health. But then you've got these people that want to ban vaping. And in some ways, they're playing into the other side of the tobacco market, the, the big tobacco players that are still wanting to sell more tobacco. And um, the, the biggest threat to their market is vaping. In the last quarter of 2018, up to the end of the financial year, the four biggest big tobacco companies in the world, their share prices fell on average 20%. So, you know, and that's vaping primarily that's doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been, their markets have been shrinking as people quit and public health messages come on and we put warning labels on cigarettes. All of those things have had an effect to reduce the smoking rate. But the sharpest decline has come in countries that have embraced vaping as a pathway for safer nicotine use. Because it's a direct competitive alternative to tobacco smoke. It's that people can have that experience of... Pulling something into their lungs, which, yep, there probably are going to be some risks there, but it's not the same as pulling in burnt plant matter into your lungs. It's, it's, a, it's quite a difference. But people still like that, that aspect. And what's wrong with that? Why, why, why is that something that we should be focusing on going, no, you're not allowed to do that. And, but anyway, look, we need to get stuck into some things because I've got a long panel here um, on safe and sustainable partying. It's a bit of a uh, retrospective of DanceWise, uh, formerly RaveSafe. Uh, DanceWise being a program that offers uh, crowd care and harm reduction services at festivals around Victoria uh, and also in New South Wales with the New South Wales chapter starting a couple of years ago. Um, they have been doing this since the mid-90s. It sort of emerged out of... Um, anarchic coalitions um, responding to drug issues at uh, at festivals uh, or, or doofs or whatever you want to call it because, of course, there's lots of different semantics in here, so I'm sorry to anybody that gets upset by me using one term over another, um, whichever you want to call it, at these events where people were um, shunning alcohol, actually, because they didn't uh, like the alcohol culture uh, in Australia. It was a different kind of culture coming through these, um, uh, through these events um, uh, using different substances, responding to different problems, uh, Prohibition obviously being one of them. So we're going to get stuck into that. That was recorded live at Rainbow Serpent Festival earlier this year. Um, but before we do, this is Monkey Mark, uh, Monkey Mark No Surrender featuring Sizzler, Capleton and Fantan Moja on In Psychedelia. Hello, this is Archie Roach and you're listening to Good Music on 855 AM 3CR. Well, come to the street, have the tough life. As a warrior, me grew up with a rough life. When we touch the corner, we no run drama. Real gangsta no love spotlight. When me step to the food, no doubt about it. At fire stop this and them can't come out. Wrong set of youth, them go fast with. Why? Them a snake on the grass with. No for them go go bow to the bosses. Well, a fireman a burn them a go scorch with. So we a go burn them to ashes. And no few them have as hostage. Tell them a fish who they use them like a partridge. With a 
October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter. Three CR eight five five AM, three CR dot org, and three CR digital. This is in psychedelia, and on the program uh, now that you're just about to hear 
Here's a panel recorded at Rainbow Serpent Festival in the Lifestyle Village earlier this year, uh, hosted by yours truly, um, but with um, uh, focus on DanceWise and um, its former self, Rave Safe. Uh, and the first person you're going to hear from is Melissa Dent, who is the first co- uh, yeah first coordinator of the Rave Safe program, and talks to us a little bit about sort of its anarchic origins. This is in Psychedelia. We started out as a collective, and so um, people would. Um, do things based on interest areas um, and then we would come together and um, people would research information and we'd put together just basically a two-sided piece of paper folded up um, with some party information and um, then you'd just get the collect the people involved in the collective would they went out to parties you know every week Uh, so when you went to parties you'd just take some of the information um, maybe have some condoms or other things like that or bottles of water. And basically it was about um, just looking out for people who look like they might need um, a little bit of help. People in trouble or looking distressed or looking a bit lost. Uh, people in the middle of the dance floor with no water going into them. So it was, that, was, that was really what we did. Um, mostly we paid entry to parties, although some promoters were incredibly supportive and would give you free entry so that you could do it, um, which was nice. Thank you, Melissa. And, and part of what um, started this off, I, I, I don't know if you guys got the inspiration. It's a bit hazy. We've been trying to find... Oh, you, you've got it? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. We've got, yeah, um, the origins of um, the Rave Safe. Uh, um, well, the, the concept and the name came from a earlier project by the uh, New South Wales Users and Aids Association under the Tribes Project. And the Tribes Project was great because it was um, like little communities of drug users could individually apply and do like a peer-based project where you actually developed information that worked for your community. So it was a really good project. And um, some, um, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, I actually have a letter from him somewhere to give you. Um, yeah, so um, um, so the guy who um, started it, uh, that peer who put in that application, um, he uh, made a film, uh, which I believe you're going to show. Yes, yes, we are. Um, shall we show it now? Uh, show, it, show it just in after a couple yes. of sentences. So um, Michael Arnold, the co-founder, um, he... Um, saw this video and um, he he loved it. And we also, um, being kind of nerdy as well as drug users, got our information from books. Um, So we literally learned everything from just researching it. We didn't get any kind of the normal verbal handover that people have. Um, And um, because we were nerdy, we also thought this was normal. Um, And um, look, so we took the name and the concept and developed it from there. So here's here's the origins. So that was the... Rave Safe video from, I think it was 93, was it? 93 that it first came out with the tri- Tribes Project was 93. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. So that was where the name and the idea came yeah. from the values. But yeah, the idea of doing something in the rave scene and the name. Um, but the model was quite different because obviously um, the model that that was based on was when there was already government money to do a project. So we were starting from somewhere different. So we based it on just um, community-based organising principles where, you know, it's like if, it's, if information is generated and the questions and answers are generated from within the community that are seeing something that needs to be responded to, then you get something that works. If it comes from outside, it may or may not work. So we, we based the model on peer and collective organising and then later when it came translated into funding, we tried to keep as much of that collective as possible because... Um, if you put more heads together, you're more likely to get the right answer more of the time. Yeah. Thank you, Melissa.
Everyone's too hot for applause. Maybe I'll say you have to give a round of applause. I'll come clap your hands for you. No, it's all right. Uh, our, our next um, speaker is our, our leader, current leader, and um, the uh, coordinator of the DanceWise program, Steph Janetti's, uh, who has been a powerhouse. Uh, she does all sorts of things behind the scenes, works far too many hours, uh, and, and really has a, a, a massive passion uh, for what we do and for keeping people safe. Uh, Steph. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, yeah, and and I do find a little bit a, a little bit gut churning to hear the term leader because um, what Mel was saying, like it's a community based program. Um, we're peer led, and it's the work of the volunteers. So all of the strength in the program comes from people wanting to give their time to support their community. So uh, that is the lifeblood of the DanceWise program. Always has been, and I hope always will be. Uh, so, where we're at right now, um, I've been involved uh, with the program for six years as a coordinator and a year before that as a volunteer. We, we have been receiving government funding for 20 years uh, this year. So that's a significant period of time and uh, we are grateful for the funding because it means that we're now at a scale where we can attend about 40 events a year, uh, which is quite painful, um, but but uh, yeah, we, we are at a point that we can go to that many events, but uh, the program has had to formalize because you are receiving government funding. And so that does mean that you're having to balance uh, the, the driving force, the community, uh, and what they focus on as priorities with what um, bureaucrats consider as the most important uh, key performance indicators for you to target strategies and those kind of like buzzwords. I mean, it doesn't really uh, fit well when applied to the people who actually want the harm reduction messaging. Um, but just to give you a summary of the service at the moment, if you go down uh, to where the medic tent is, the DanceWise tent is right next door, we have a front of house with educational resources that have been developed with reference to empirical evidence, but by the people in our team and our extended community. Uh, we also have resources from a range of other agencies that are relevant for people in the scene, for people who use drugs, and that includes uh, mental health resources, uh, know your rights, um, sexual health resources, and the health supplies that empower people to actually um, implement measures so they are reducing their harm. So things like free sexual health supplies, earplugs, sunscreen, all of those kinds of things. And then inside the chill space is um, a space where people who are intoxicated and don't need a medical intervention can receive support. And I hear myself saying that sentence and I actually realize like um, it's almost, who don't need a medical intervention. And I'm saying that like a disclaimer because I'm used to saying that in context with stakeholders who aren't necessarily familiar with the service and why it exists. Um, but yeah, so the space is a place where people who are having a difficult drug experience can receive support and it's non-judgmental. Now, um, what the space can look like inside changes quite dramatically within the course of an event and from one event to the next. And that, that can often be because of the, the kinds of drugs that people may be taking at an event. Some events we are elbow deep in vomit because there's a lot of alcohol at the event. 
some events, we're spending a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with people having a challenging psychedelic experience. Um, but always the most important thing is to make sure that you're, you're taking a non-discriminatory approach and providing people with support. So that is, the, that is the summary of the program as it stands. Uh, but we also like to work with community groups or relevant stakeholders to, to branch out. And so two examples of that, um, one being the, the, consort, the Pill Testing Australia Consortium. We're a member of that and we, uh, were, we participated in the trial in Canberra in April. Um, and the great thing about the Pill Testing Australia approach is that it incorporates um, the scientific approach with a toxicologist on board, uh, as well as the peer-based approach, which is if people get their substance tested and they have an idea of what it is, then there has to be an educational intervention afterwards. Some time for people to consider their behavior, to consider what risks are involved, and maybe to modify their behavior to reduce the risks. And people are more likely to take that information on board if they are hearing it being from someone who's been there and who can relate to the kinds of impulses that that they have as well. Um, if you're hearing something from someone and it just doesn't make sense, um, then you're less likely to take that information on board. So that's the beauty of the peer-based model. Um, another project that we're, we're really excited to be a part of is uh, supporting the SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, uh, Be Heard, Not Harmed. Uh, and that's beautiful because SSDP has been around only for just over three years now, is that right? And SSDP is still completely grassroots. They recently were successful in getting the Project Labs mentoring funding, which was just for, for a mentoring, how many weeks was it? Uh, yes, six months. Six yeah. months, six month mentoring. Um, opportunity but there's still the the volunteers are still doing all the the hard yards uh, so we support them by creating a platform for them to be um, heard on and for us to information share and exchange resources so those are two examples of how the program has diversified to work with new community groups as they evolve um, and yeah, and the program in and of itself is expanding throughout Australia, which is a beautiful thing to see. And it is quite wonderful to see the program come full circle. And there is now, uh, it's in the second year, DanceWise New South Wales. Uh, I'm not sure, that we're, we're collaborating with a couple of crew members from DanceWise New South Wales um, here at Rainbow, which is great. Um, and that was the organization that funded the video that you just saw that gave the name Rave Safe to the original iteration of DanceWise. So it's quite cool seeing the cyclic nature of the, of the program. But yeah, I think that in a nutshell is what DanceWise, um, well, where DanceWise is at right now. Um, Steph, you've also, um, she uh, travels a lot as well, gets to see this community around the world. As Melissa um, alluded to uh, before, the, the, the idea for the model uh, didn't come from 
from the Rave Safe video came from other organisations. There's other organisations doing similar things around the world, uh, and Steph is networked with these organisations, speak to these organisations, and sees how some of them operate as well. Do you want to talk a bit about some of your experiences? Yeah, um, I suppose the the organisation that I um, have worked with that uh, I've found really nourishing is uh, Cosmic Care, uh, that delivers a harm reduction service at Boom Festival in Portugal. Uh, many of you may be aware that in 2001, I believe, uh, drug policies were quite radically reformed in Portugal. They decriminalized all substances, so use and possession of uh, quantities for personal use, which equates to about 10 days worth. So it's not just a tokenistic amount. Uh, they're no longer, that's no longer a crime. And what you do when you, um, when you take away the, the kinds of, uh, you take away that criminal kind of label that is attached to that personal use behavior, it opens up the space. It makes it more, it makes it safer to ask questions and to have conversations in your community. You don't have to be underground. So what I notice in Portugal is that yes, they have a harm reduction uh, service that is comparable to what we have here in Australia. But what's quite beautiful is that the conversation is balanced between be aware of the risks, uh, know that you won't be judged, but be aware of the risks and please do your best to reduce them. We're all here to support you, which is what I think we, we try our best to achieve here in Australia, to being able to talk about benefit enhancement. So this idea of, okay, know that these are the risks, but know that these are the ways to actually make it a more pleasurable experience. I think the climate in Australia uh, as well as other countries, uh, a lot of English-speaking countries, particularly the U.S., there isn't. It's not okay to say those kind of comments uh, because you are very vulnerable to being criticised for promoting drug use, and drug use is perceived as something that should be punished. There's this kind of the the debate around drug use gets tied to values when really it could just be simply let's talk about it in terms of a, a quite normal human impulse. So that's what I observed in Portugal, that they, they really do uh, embrace that there are potential benefits that people can experience, even like rites of passage almost, through some drug experiences. Like just acknowledging that not all drug use is inherently wrong. Uh, and that, that would be my, my main observation between uh, delivering a program like DanceWise in Australia and uh, the Cosmic Care model in Portugal. Thank you. Um, now we're gonna get uh, into some, some nitty gritty details with um, one of the program officers of DanceWise, Linda. Uh, now Linda, um, you've got some data for us maybe contextualize it first and then you can jump into it and it's going to come up on we're actually going to skip ahead of um linda's one if you want to see this because a lot of it is on slides so if you want to see this uh youtube.com and uh follow the links to rainbow serpent hq i think is the youtube channel we will post it on our social media too uh so that you can see uh linda's slides because i think you'll just be missing i'm, I'm noticing a lot of there's a lot of gaps in the audio so you'll be missing a lot um if we just listen to it but um after this quick break we will be hearing from nick kent uh who is the director of students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. Green Left Weekly Radio. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights 
environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. Tune in every Friday morning at 8am on 3CR. So while uh, Nick sorts that out a little bit, um, oh, don't tell me I closed it. I did have up on my page a article from Steve Bright, and I'll just pull it back up. It was um, from The Conversation, and it was titled, Does Anyone Have an Addictive Personality? Oh, yeah. The um, simple answer is no. Um, the, the addiction is very complex, and so people can have... Uh, factors in their life that contribute to um, a risk of addiction, but there isn't such a thing as an addictive personality. Um, Addiction is contributed to through uh, a person's state of being, things that they've experienced in the past, their environment, their access to addictive substances, um, and none of this means that you have a, quote, addictive personality. Well, we often hear of... um, about hoarders, for example, people that just keep all sorts of junk in their house until it's unusable and, you know, their pets go missing amongst piles of newspapers and magazines. And then you hear a little bit about their history and you hear how uh, their family growing up was so incredibly poor that they would have to, you know, share the one piece of bread between five of them for several days and things like that. Uh, So guess what? Those sorts of environmental factors early in somebody's life mean somebody is more prone to hoarding, which is a similar sorts of thing to um, uh, to, uh, addiction because it's just grab it. You need to get all the things, all the things. And it's a response to that environmental factor of not being able to have enough and thinking all the time, sort of like a part is broken, thinking I just need to get get a little bit more, need to get a little bit more. Um, So, yeah, um, we'll post a link to that one as well. We ready to go? We're ready, yes, uh, with Nick Kent. Um, It's in Psychedelia on 3CR. Uh, Nick Kent is one of the DanceWise volunteers, but um, as, as we heard before, also the, uh, one of the co-founders of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Uh, and Nick's going to talk to us a little bit from, from that peer's perspective. Peer's perspective, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Um, thank you, everyone. It's really nice to be up here. Um, talking about DanceWise. I fucking love DanceWise. <laughs> um, so I'm the National Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. Um, and as Nick said, I also volunteer with the DanceWise team um, and I've been doing both for about the last three years. Um, so I'm not sure I said this on the previous panel as well, but I, I basically found this whole space right here at the Cocoon in 2016 um, at these such panels um, and didn't really know a whole lot about harm reduction before that to be honest um but i knew that that how we um how we talk about drugs in societies messed up and um and the i knew that the people who were using those drugs um and the people who actually had that experience on the ground weren't being part of the conversation and that was what was really annoying me um so that's the kind of place at which i come at this conversation it is as a peer um and as someone who um enjoys these places more than anything um 
So I guess that um, in terms of like safe and sustainable partying, what the panel's about, um, I guess what I can add to that, um, whilst we've heard about the how the program runs and what it's like on the ground, um, I guess what Students for Sensible Drug Policy can help bring to the conversation is just a bit of um, commentary on the policy space around it and how that impacts um, what we have on the ground here, or more importantly, what we don't have on the ground here, which I'll, I'll get to in a sec. Um, and um, yeah, so basically, um, SSDP is a grass, as Steph said, a grassroots youth-led organization um, as well. Um, and so therefore, the stuff that we come up with, the way that we're able to have conversations with people, building on that kind of yeah, peer-based principle, um, uh, we believe are ultimately more effective than um, in terms of reaching our demographic um, and connecting them to the evidence base around drugs than any other organization apart from DanceWise. Um, and because of that, um, there's a huge sense of actually family, I would say. Um, and to borrow a term from SAS, cross-pollination is one you use sometimes. Um, so there's a range of organizations of which DanceWise and Students for Sensible Drug Policy are part of a broader movement. And we're all part of each other, really. So there's a heap of SSDP people who also spend their time doing DanceWise volunteering and vice versa. Um, and so it is really a, a grassroots community um, across the board that is um, sort of getting packaged up in little organizations and doing, or big organizations, growing organizations, um, and doing stuff to um, get messages out there in different ways. So we want to span the link between young people and literally the like political conversation. Um, so I'll just give a really quick anecdote and then talk a little bit about Be Heard Not Harmed, which is our campaign for our youth-led campaign for pill testing. Um, so in my role as national director, um, following the first death this season, of which there's now been five, the majority of which have been in New South Wales, um, there was a parliamentary session called for the New South Wales Parliament that I was invited to um, as a youth representative, which was a huge honour. Um, but I, you know, I got there and there was a round table of like 40 or 50 people and you've got all your academics who are overwhelmingly on side. You've got people like uh, Dr. David Keldicott, um, representatives from the you know, music festival industry and stuff like that. Um, and I was the only person there that was there to represent like young people. And it's because we've got like a safe brand. We're students for sensible drug policy. It's okay to allow me at the table. Um, and yeah, that's something that deserves further conversation actually. But um, I sort of had never been in a parliamentary session before. I waited till the end to speak. Didn't really know how it was going to go. Um, I fumbled my words a tiny bit, but I basically said the message that like it's been lovely to hear all you talk about this and deep respect for all your support and that we need pill testing and everything. But I've heard all this before. I've heard all this for years. So has everyone else. And we're still not breaking through and we're still not changing policy. And why is that? And if you ask me um, what I think and what has been shown to be the case over the last few months is that there's no organized youth voice in this debate. When someone dies and when the media discourse and narrative plays out over the following days, um, it is overwhelmingly out-of-touch premiers and police commissioners that get to control the conversation. And it's not people who know what's happening on the ground. It's not people who know, you know, it's, it's generally not people who've even read evidence about what would address these festival-related deaths and harms. Um, and that's why we have poor policy and that's why we have poor outcomes and that is why people are dying. And, um, you know, if you look at other areas of activism or you just look at, um, I suppose, where society is going in many ways is that there is a growth in this appreciation for the idea of lived experience. 
You know, like if you want to talk about racial injustice, your lived experience as someone who's not white is therefore more valid. Or you want to talk about feminism, you're a woman, that's more valid. You know, your, your opinions take priority. And that doesn't exist for people who use drugs. That doesn't exist for people who enjoy festivals. Um, and that's, that's a huge gap in the conversation. And so SSDP is trying, you know, to, to use that seat at the table um, to wedge that conversation in further. And we've developed, with the help of our, our mentors at the Centre for Australian Progress, um, a campaign. Um, and this campaign, so those mentors have worked for organisations like GetUp, um, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, the Wilderness Society, the Australian Conservation Foundation. So organisations that have been running massive, professional and successful campaigns for decades. Um, myself and Gulliver, uh, our Deputy Director, uh, participated in that program and really gained a lot of that knowledge about how to do that in a technical way, all the infrastructure involved in that, all the governance stuff, all the technicalities around that. And we have that knowledge now and we've rolled out a campaign um, that we've launched in Melbourne and Sydney now. Um, and there's some further Sydney events coming up. There'll be plenty more Melbourne stuff planned too. Um, and it's basically our national youth-led campaign to change the conversation around pill testing, to allow young people, not just myself up here, increasingly any other young person who wants to grab a microphone and talk about it, wants to speak to their local MPs and talk about it, uh, wants to speak to their family or their school or their institute, like university, whatever, giving people the language, the skills, the confidence, and uh, like, to be honest, the brand to be able to do that. Um, so that was the inspiration for it. And I suppose what's made this campaign possible is that community-oriented, peer-based appreciation for community that we share with DanceWise. Um, and it was a seed I planted in Steph's head a few months, a fair few months ago. Like, let's do this campaign together. Um, let's be, you know, a bit out there. Let's talk about pill testing at the festival. Let's put posters up. Let's get a petition. Let's, like, get this... These people who don't have a voice added to the conversation. I almost can't help myself. Let's what we're going to do. I'll shut up now. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Nick. Uh, Round of applause. Um, We've got a bit of time for some questions now. If you have a question, please come up here. I'll give you this microphone. Uh, We need to put it on microphone because it's being recorded. Is uh, is there anyone who has any questions, queries for the DanceWise program, for how uh, drug policy works in Australia right now, for Students for Sensible Drug Policy, uh, not... No, no, no questions. Gosh, can I? Uh, Linda, huh? I mean, this person. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll um, cross to a couple of the uh, of the questions. Um, uh, but in the meantime, Rainbow Serpent Festival 2020 tickets are on sale at the moment. Planning a couple more uh, panel discussions out there as we've been doing for the past, uh, gosh, how many years now? Three, four, five years um, at Rainbow Serpent. Yeah, a few I think years. At least. Yeah, yeah. yeah of, um, uh, and it's always it's a good. Um, a good uh, forum for that. Uh, not a lot of the other festivals. I mean, there's still a lot of the festivals like to have token sort of lifestyle bits, but because um, it seems like they don't put a lot of resources or or focus onto it, it sort of doesn't um, eventuate. Um, and I'm trying to think. Uh, there aren't many at the moment that are doing other than festivals like Confest. Um, and of course, um, Burning Seed uh, still has that kind of format. It's got a very free free form format. Um, but I've been to a lot of the other festivals that often will have a sort of a space for talks or things like that, but it's um, relatively oh. unknown and um, un sort of uh, curated. Earthcore for all of the floors of that particular event did have some of that as well. Um, but yeah, I think Burning Seed is probably one of the places where that happens more. My intention is to take um, a lot more workshops up there next next year to talk about various things. But there is um, a lot of these things on YouTube now as well as that's grown over the... Well, how long has YouTube been around for? 
12 years? 10, 10 years? Uh, I'm not sure. 15 Living, years? living memory of young people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, we've got about 10 minutes left and we're going to just have a listen to a couple of the uh, uh, the questions and the answers and the discussion there uh, from this panel, Safe and Sustainable Partying, uh, from the Dancewise uh, crew at Rainbow Serpent Festival earlier this year. Uh, it's from the Rainbow Serpent HQ YouTube channel, which you can find on YouTube, or um, if you follow our social media links, we'll post it up there as well, or head to our website, npsychedelia.org, where the podcasts are being updated all the time, uh, and you can find things there. We'll cross back to that panel now. This is Psychedelia on 3CR. So, just to clarify, you're talking about people who receive care, like, rather than just visiting the front of house, yep. Um, okay, so, so DanceWise is a community... Uh, based organization as opposed to a medical model. Um, we work closely with the first aid provider and uh, Colbrow Medics are like a great group. Um, they, What we're doing is we're trying to create a space where if someone doesn't actually need a medical intervention but they do would benefit uh, from being monitored, they can be in a space that's less intimidating. We, it's really subtle things, like the space has softer lighting than say a clinical lighting. Um, we don't wear the hivers uh, necessarily in the space or the furnishings are softer. Uh, so people are able to ride out the experience surrounded by people who uh, understand where they're at because they most likely have been there or somewhere similar as well. Um, they reinforce. We really try to um, encourage people to to not internalize a sense of shame, which um, they might get in a clinical setting, not because they're necessarily being um, discriminated, but because um, to overcome stigma. Like, and and when you are a person who uses drugs, it's a, a heavily stigmatized uh, lifestyle. Um, it, you need to go above and beyond to really reassure a person that they do deserve care, that their health rights are valid, uh, that they're not a bad person because they've used drugs and they're not a bad person because they needed support through that experience. And so um, hopefully, and you never know because it's not a counselling service and we don't, uh, we, we keep a care log to make sure that we that we risk manage the situation, that we care, we have a duty of care, but they're anonymous records and we don't have any follow-on to see how did this person get on six months down the track or 10 years down the track. But what we hope is that people leave that space um, not damaged by the drug experience and not having an internalized sense of shame. So that's what I, that's what we endeavor to, to um, provide for people, just a safe space for them to ride out an experience that is really quite normal in terms of what our human experiences, but are often highly criticized, highly stigmatized, and the stigma that you experience from being someone who uses drugs is more harmful than the drug itself. Okay, so that's, that's what we try to combat. Looking to connect with your local community and do something rewarding? Well, volunteering to lead a neighbourly ride could be exactly what you're after. The short 40-minute group rides are for all ages and ride levels. Help people build their confidence, 
feel supported while safely exploring the local areas of Brunswick, Carlton, Fitzroy and Northcote by bike. Volunteers receive free ride leader training, so go to neighbourlyride.com to contact us about volunteering. A 3CR supporter. And for some upcoming events, for those in the local area around Fitzroy on the 28th of October, I think it's a Monday morning, 10 until 12.30pm at the Fitzroy Town Hall, the Mental Health Foundation of Australia are hosting a forum titled uh, Drug Abuse and Mental Health. And um, it sounds quite interesting. I think for me, that's probably more the appropriate area for a lot of issues around drug use and drug misuse to sit. Um, we often talk about it being a health issue. I think for a lot of people, it's primarily a, a mental health issue. And so having um, the Mental Health Foundation host a forum like this, I think, you know, we'll see how it goes, but it sounds like it'll be a really positive and useful discussion for those in the area. Tickets are free. They're available on trybooking.com. And we'll post a link on the social media page. And the first Asia regional meeting of the International Society for the Study of Drug Policy, or ISSDP, is happening in Hong Kong Monday and Tuesday this week. So we'll um, follow up on some information from that in coming shows and uh, see how the discussions are. Uh, also, I just noticed since I just played that um, bike riding thing, which sounds kind of neat, they'll go and help you out. It is also um, National Ride to Work Day this Wednesday. I knew, knew it was coming up because it's always just on that week before my birthday when I go, oh, yeah, it's probably, um, you know, it's getting spring. It's getting a little bit warmer. Should probably get on the bike again. And we were just talking about that at the start of the show. Time to get back on the bike again, Ash? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll be actually having a look at, well, I've got one functional bike that needs a bit of a tweak. I've got one that um, I kind of kept. I got hit by a car when riding my bike about six years yeah. ago, and I, I kind of kept that bike with the intention of, repairing it as you know part of the healing process or something like that yeah, so good idea good i'm gonna be getting all into the bike stuff over the next few weeks yeah well it's definitely warming up it's time to do that um and as uh, festival season continues on we will have uh, more panels um from festivals uh upcoming panel um that we will be playing in full uh from rainbow serpent earlier this year as well is a panel we did on australian festivals and culture wars uh looking at the sort of culture war rhetoric that gets played out even more strongly um on a, on a national sort of political uh uh, discussion basis at the moment um, and, and look at how that's sort of tied in with uh, with music festivals and the alternative cultures that have revolved around music festivals for a long while because secretly somewhere in my head not that secretly I, I wonder whether this whole you know sniffer dogs and focusing on drugs thing considering we know it's not about people's health we know it's not about welfare we, we know it's not about all the things that they say it could be about that are sort of nice things that it could be about I, you know, my little little tinfoil hat moments go, well, it does seem like there's a certain kind of person with certain kind of political leanings that goes along to these festivals and um, does tend to be the opponent of those people who uh, support prohibition and generally support, you know, less workers' rights, no unionisation and, you know, a whole bunch of other raft of factors. Like, these things go together. Let's not atomise ourselves. Let's remember these things. And drug use is a scapegoat. And just quickly, before we get to the end of the show, just while we were on air, I actually came across a, a further update on the um, vaping epidemic of uh, lung-related illnesses in the United States. And there has been a blog put up by a lab in Colorado called the Green Lab. 
and they believe that it may be an interaction with uh, these oily e-liquids, and the one that's been highlighted is um, vitamin E acetate, which is used to thicken up some of these illicit THC pro- uh, uh, products, uh, interacting with a certain kind of silver solder. And that creates uh, something called metal fume fever, which mm. is... Um, probably something that's unknown to most people unless you're a metal worker. Well, I was going to say this is actually, this is the reason why when you're soldering, you should be wearing a face mask, which we were actually never taught in year nine electric electronics when we used to solder, because those fumes do do that. That's Yeah, so that's Mm -hmm. very likely. Yeah, so they've kind of highlighted that the symptoms are very similar to this and they've identified some of these components in some of the illicit products. Uh, You can read the full blog post at um, coloradogreenlab.com and just look for the blog post on Metal Fume Zebra. Well, there you go. Um, we keep you up to date with all these things. Like to like to think that we're keeping you informed and um, informed on the misinformation that's going on out there because that is the... Uh uh, I mean, that's the status quo of our um, drug policy and drug regulation in this country. Um, misinform, uh, fear narratives. I've actually been having a fantastic little argument um, slash debate discussion with um, uh, one of the drug-free ambassadors, which is a Scientology organisation uh, who have ridiculously um, biased and, and fear-focused resources. And he thought that they were all right. Uh, I'm being very nice with him. I'd love to get him on the show at some point and talk about these sorts of things. Things, but it's you know it's hard to anyway queering the air up next <laughs> see you later this has been a 3cr podcast you can hear in psychedelia live every sunday from 2 p.m head to 3cr.org.au for more